Martin Luther King Jr. said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Good words. And I think that he may have been reading the same scripture passage that we're going to be looking at today in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Light overcomes darkness and love overcomes hate. Jesus was asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? And he answered in Mark 12, 30, like this. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus boiled everything down to these two essential commands, love God and love others. He said all of the law of God and all of the words that God spoke through the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, today, in the passage that we'll be looking at from the letter of 1 John, John teaches us this same essential truth. He tells us that those who really know God, those who are really in fellowship with God, those who are really in a close, intimate relationship with God, seek to obey God's commands. Keeping God's commands is, he said, evidence that a person is in relationship with God. Keeping God's commands is evidence that a person loves God. And of all of the commands that God has given us, the most important is to love others. So when we love others, we are also showing love for God. Well, let's flip over to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. John writes this. He says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. John is ta- has been talking about fellowship with God in the previous passage, which we looked at last time. He's continuing that same discussion, but now he's using a different term to refer to the same idea. He's now talking about knowing God. Knowing God and having fellowship with God, being in a close relationship with God, is all ways of saying the same thing. John's talking about knowing God to create a confrontation with the false teachers who have been claiming to have a special knowledge, gnosis, which has opened up for them the spiritual realm, giving them mystical insights and visions of God. They claim that these experiences that they have been having, that that proves that they know God. Well, John says that we know that we know God not through having special knowledge or spiritual insights or mystical experiences, but by living an obedient life. Do we obey the commands of God? Do we obey his word? Are we behaving like Jesus? The authenticity of a Christian life is demonstrated through obedience to the Lord rather than mystical or emotional experiences or following a complicated process of some kind. Oswald Chambers said it this way. 
He said, the best measure of spiritual life is not ecstasy, moving emotional experiences, but obedience. John Milton, the author of the epic poem Paradise Lost, he said it this way. He said, the end of all learnings is to know God, and out of that knowledge to love and imitate him. If our knowledge of God doesn't produce in us a love for God and a life that seeks to imitate him, then the knowledge of God that we are acquiring is of questionable value. Keeping the commandments is not a requirement for knowing God, but evidence that we do know God. Keeping the commandments is not the same as knowing God. A person can live a morally pure life and not necessarily know God. But a person who really knows God will seek to keep his commandments. When we truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, becoming a follower of his, it changes us. I remember before I received Jesus as my Savior and was born again spiritually to God through him, the last thing in the world that I wanted to do was to obey God's commands. I mean... One of the things that really griped me about religion was the idea that some supreme being was trying to tell me how to live my life. I resented the idea that there was a God trying to claim authority over me. But when the Lord came into my life and I was truly saved and the Holy Spirit planted the new life of Jesus inside of me, my attitude toward God radically changed. I don't resent God's authority anymore over me. I welcome it. I invite it. I appreciate it. I'm grateful for it. I love the Lord and his word. Now, I'm ashamed to admit that I don't always follow it. But there's a fundamental change of attitude that has taken place in me toward God's authority over my life, which came from the supernatural transformation that has been done in me when I received Jesus as the Christ and the Holy Spirit began to change me inside. 1 John 5.3, John writes a little further on in this letter. He says, this is love for God, to keep his commands. In his gospel of John, John wrote this in 14.15, quoting Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. John Stott said, true love for God is expressed not in sentimental language or mystical experience, but in moral obedience. Too often, we judge the quality of our spiritual life based on how we feel. Do I feel close to God? As I sing worship songs to the Lord, am I being emotionally moved? When I read my Bible, do I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking a special word just for me in that moment? When I pray, do I feel a connection with God? Now, when our feelings are clicking along and we really feel close to the Lord, it's wonderful. But when our emotions are dry and we feel distant from the Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are any less close to the Lord. It's also possible for us to feel like we are living a spiritually vibrant life, really close to the Lord, but in reality, we're living a compromised Christian life, doing stuff that we know the Lord is not pleased with. Our feelings 
come and go and don't always represent reality in the positive or in the negative. A more accurate test of the condition of our relationship with the Lord is our obedience to his word. Am I keeping the Lord's commands? Am I seeking to behave like Jesus? Verse 5, he wrote, But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. The word that's translated made complete, it means finished, perfected, made whole, matured. When we obey the Lord's command, when we follow his word, our love for God is being expressed in a complete whole, mature way. The New Living Translation, it translates this sentence like this. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. In other words, our love for God is not just words. It involves our whole being, our words, our thinking, our actions. It's a complete expression of love for God. The last part of verse 5 and verse 6 read, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We, we have made up our own scorecards for judging how spiritual we are. Those scorecards, they need to be tossed out and they need to be exchanged for the scorecard that the Lord has given us in his word right here. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That phrase, in him, it means to live in relationship with the Lord, to be in fellowship with him, to know him. So, in other words, this is how we know that we know him, that we are in fellowship with him, that we are in a close relationship with him. Whoever claims to live in him, have fellowship with him, to know him, to be in close relationship with him, must live as Jesus did. The truly spiritual person, the one who is in fellowship with God, behaves like Jesus. There was an acronym that became very popular a number of years ago within church circles, which was eventually uh, just overdone to the point of it losing its effectiveness. But the idea was a good one. You remember WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's a simple question to ask ourselves continually throughout our day when facing every decision and choice in life. What would Jesus do? Verse 7, John continues, he says, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their neighbor or excuse me, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. John begins this section by saying that he's not giving a new command but an old one. 
The false teachers, they had come into the churches claiming to have new information, new knowledge that they've acquired, new experience, a new revelation of God. They were saying, in effect, John and the others, they, they got you going in the right direction, but to achieve a truly higher level of enlightenment, you need this new message that we have. John counters that, saying the message received from Jesus has not changed and nothing has been added to it or needs to be added to it. It concerns me when I see believers who have this very sincere desire to know the Lord better and to grow closer to him, getting caught up in the various fad ideas and programs that come through the church. They get into the new popular hot thing for a while and they get really judgmental towards the rest of us because we haven't jumped on the bandwagon with them. Eventually, though, they burn out on the new thing. They get disillusioned and they flounder for a while. Then they hit on the next new thing that comes floating through the church and the cycle starts over again. It repeats itself. They begin to get really judgmental towards the rest of us because we haven't jumped on the bandwagon with them on this other new thing, and so on. You guys, the message of Jesus has not changed since the day he gave it to the first disciples some 2,000 years ago. Stick to the old command. It's the command that leads to true maturity and spiritual depth in Christ. What is this old command? It's the command to love others. 1 John 3.11, John writes this, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's it. At the same time, this old command is a new command. It was revolutionary when Jesus introduced his teaching on love. It's still revolutionary. It still challenges us. It still breaks our conventions, creates discomfort. It forces us to reevaluate our assumptions and approaches to everything in life. There is nothing more disruptive to our thinking than Jesus' teaching on love. Think about that. There's nothing more disruptive to our thinking than Jesus' teaching on love. Interestingly, God has always taught his people to love others. A couple of examples. Leviticus 19.18. He said through Moses, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. A little further in that same chapter, Leviticus 19, verse 33. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Jesus expanded and applied the command to love in ways that people had not wanted to consider. In the famous Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he repeatedly states the conventional wisdom of the day and what people considered good and right behavior in the current cultural context. And then he dropped a love bomb on all of it, blowing it up, 
taking it apart, making application that was unthinkable. He said stuff like, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. If if someone hits you on one cheek, turn to them the other. Give to those who are in need without expecting anything in return. Be kind to those who don't deserve it. Jesus, he told stories like the Good Samaritan story in Luke 10, teaching us to help those in need regardless of how different they are from ourselves. Jesus washed his disciples' feet to demonstrate servant leadership. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What is this love that Jesus taught and commands us to carry out? Well, it's not a romantic love like the love that we would have for a lover. It's not the affection that comes easily between friends. It's a choice that we make to treat and care for another for no other reason than because God wills that we do it. It's a choice that reaches across the divides of culture and class and race. It's a choice to put aside our own interests and desires and fears for the sake of the undeserving. It's a choice that extends across being wronged and taken advantage of by others. It's a choice to put ourselves into the shoes of others and try to see and understand things through their eyes. It's the most difficult of choices that we are ever asked to make in this life. The choice to love like Jesus loved. The Apostle Paul wrote about this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud, does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. In verse 9, He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. In these verses, John equates light and love and equates darkness and and hatred. He says that the person who lives a life of love lives in the light. 
seeing where he's going and what he's doing. Living a life of love brings understanding and wisdom into our life. Living a life of love is following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Conversely, the person who hates, who fails to extend love to others, lives in darkness. Hatred clouds our understanding. It blinds us. It makes us narrow and foolish. It causes us to miss the way of Jesus. Now, you might be, think, you might be thinking to yourself, uh, well, I don't hate anyone. Hate seems too harsh of a word, perhaps, to you. For John, though, we're either acting in love or acting in hate. There's no in-between. When we refuse to extend love, when it's within our capacity to do so, we're hating rather than loving. There's a passage in Herman Melville's famous novel, Moby Dick, that I'd like to leave us with as we close our study this morning. He wrote this, he says, But all the things that God would have us do are hard for us to do. Remember that. And hence, he oftener commands us than endeavors to persuade. And if we obey God, we must disobey ourselves. And it is in this disobeying ourselves wherein the hardness of obeying God consists. You see, God... He's calling us to do things that go against our natural inclinations and leanings. Things that go against what comes easy for us. Things that are uncomfortable and inconvenient and challenging and scary and unfamiliar. To obey God, it means to disobey ourselves. And this, Melville wrote, is where this hardness, the difficulty in obeying God comes. May we choose to disobey ourselves and instead obey the Lord, showing love to others. A final thought before closing. At the end of 1 John 2, 8, John writes, The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The way of darkness is passing. The way of selfishness and hatred is passing away. And the way of light, inaugurated by Jesus, the light of the world, has come and will eventually overcome the darkness in every corner of this world. The way of hatred and self-centeredness, they are destined for extinction. Now that may be difficult for us to imagine sometimes as we look on the world that has been suffering for so long under the tyranny of hatred and selfishness. But the Lord has promised that hatred's days are numbered and that the love and the light of Jesus Christ is going to win in the end. 1 Corinthians 13.8, Paul said, Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Further down in that chapter, in verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love.
Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this challenge that you have given us to follow in the footsteps of your son, Jesus, to love. And Lord, we thank you too for this promise that you've given us that the love of Jesus Christ wins in the end. Lord, fill our hearts with hope for this, that we would pray for this, that we would look forward to this, that we would work for this. Make it so, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.